Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of the Board Review Podcast. Uh, in this episode, we talk to friend and collaborator Joe Breyer, who is currently the executive director of Parallel 45 Theater Company in Traverse City. And I was really excited to talk to him uh, about a little bit about his past as a scriptwriter and his time at the Sundance Film Festival, along with what led him back to northern Michigan. In addition, he also contributed to our spring issue with a pretty amazing article on local legendary writer Jim Harrison and his longtime confidant and estate manager Joyce Bailey. Chris and I have become really good friends with him over the last couple of years, so we were pretty excited to get him into the studio. All right, here's the episode with Joe Beyer. Thanks for listening. All right, uh, thanks, Joe, for joining us today. Please tell us, introduce yourself. Please tell us who you are um, and, and you know, what you're doing and, and how we might know you. All right, that sounds great. Thanks for having me. It is a thrill to be here in the studio with you. I've seen this place on social media. It was a mystery and now I'm here. Um, so if you don't know me, my name's Joe Beyer and um, I grew up in Michigan, uh, in Holland, Michigan and West Michigan downstate. And then I met you guys um, at a really exciting moment in my life when I moved to Traverse City from LA in 2018. And we became close uh, creative friends and uh, collaborators now, I'm very happy to say on many things. And so now um, I'm in this transition again, which is that I just spent two and a half years as executive director of Michigan Legacy Art Park, which is an outdoor sculpture experience in Benzie County. And I recently took a new job as executive director for Parallel 45 Theater Company, which is live theater in the summer in downtown Traverse City. And um, plays and workshops year round. So I'm making another change this summer and pretty excited about it. So when I, when we first met, uh, I remember you had, you came along with like kind of your own tagline. <laughs> it was, uh, you called yourself an idea agitator. And I remember first hearing that and wondering what that meant and, and, you know, what does it mean? <laughs> well, I think you kind of, you do. What, what does it not mean? I mean yeah, right. Like, and, and the, the point is that I kind of, I was a little skeptical when I first read that. I'm like, Oh, what, he, what does he think he can do here? What, what's, what's he trying to say? But it, I think you've proven it is what I'm getting to is that you are the thing that you, that, that whatever that means, you are it. Uh, you, you backed up your own label. Basically. Yeah. And, wow. <laughs> and I just think that, I don't know. I always think about that. And then, uh, you also seem to be go, you, you are sort of a, a challenge seeker also, it seems I, I would, if I were to label you in a, in a different way. Well, the idea agitator, uh, label came to me because I needed a Twitter bio and my <laughs> longtime colleague at Sundance, a guy named Chris Horton, you know, I said, what am I going to say? You know, likes this, likes that. And he said, you should just say idea agitator. And I said, Hey, that sounds, that sounds mm -hmm. actually like what I want to do. Yeah. You know, like that like, sounds like what that? I try to do. And so he gave me that. And then it became something that I was really fond of because I can't very logically describe a lot of what I do, but it does all somehow fit under this idea of trying to provoke or change or connect or evolve things, whether it's a project, whether it's an organization, whether it's a, uh, you know, connection between two people, it's all about collaboration. And that's what idea agitating is, is going back and forth. And, and so I like being in the middle of it. I don't consider myself the person that facilitates it. I like to just bring the people together that make it possible to agitate ideas. Yeah. I feel like you're also a bit of a jack of all trades and you are constantly trying to learn new, new skills and whatnot and try to meet new people. I, I think a lot of it's like, you're, you're trying to keep that kind of mix in your life going where you're trying to constantly either be going to different organizations and try to help them out or try to connect people or collaborate or something like that. So I feel like that fits into it a lot and maybe, uh, goes into why you, you know, are excited about moving from one organization to another because it's a new challenge. And, and you know, it, it, like what Chris was saying, like challenging yourself with something new, a new endeavor. Um, do you feel that way? Well, I guess sometimes you, the changes happen without your invitation, you know, and that's been a part of my experience here. Certainly, this is now my fourth job in three years, which is 
the opposite of my life previously, where I was at one organization for almost 15 years. And <clears throat> this opportunity with Parallel 45, and I've been open about this, this was not something that I was seeking. My friend Aaron Anderson Whiting, who was the co-founder of the theater company and the outgoing executive director, she got a new job. And so she and her, her co-founder, uh, Kip McKay, who's the artistic director, they both came to me just as a fan of Parallel 45 Theater and then asked me if I would consider putting my hat in the ring for this position. And I wasn't expecting that. In fact, I thought Aaron was calling me to say that she and her husband were moving out of town and I was going to be devastated. They're good friends of mine, et cetera. And suddenly I thought, well, if somebody that built something from scratch, like this theater organization that now is 10 years old, so they started with nothing and now they have a staff of five and, you know, they just opened a permanent location and just a huge set of accomplishments. I thought if they asked me to consider this, then I should take it seriously because that shows a tremendous amount of trust and faith. You know, they weren't in a tough spot. They weren't looking for somebody on the fly. They were really thinking it through. And um, people don't know this about me, which is which is not something you would know. But I started in the theater. That was where I began. That was my passion. I went to college for that. I tried to make a career out of it. Um, it led me to the other places that I went unexpectedly as well. But theater is my roots. And so the idea that a um, almost age I won't say, but it's older <laughs> than you boys. And, uh, you know, you got to ask yourself, like, when am I going to get that chance again? So it was just a perfect combination of things. But I loved and I do love the art park, as you guys know, because I've had you out there. We've collaborated. I mean, it's yeah, a fantastic. It's a, it's a beautiful place. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful location. And it's out by Crystal Mountain. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, to be able to go on hikes there and look at those sculptures. And I mean, when when I yeah. came out there and. We rode around on the golf cart. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty. That was pretty fun, and be able to see that. Um, I feel like it, it was like late summer or something, so it was just like it was perfect weather and beautiful yeah. and green everywhere. And um, just to have that location to be kind of your your office, I bet was was pretty amazing. It was amazing. Um, the office itself was not amazing, <laughs> but what happened yeah. with COVID? The, the was, quote unquote office, I guess. Yeah, at that point. during the pandemic. <laughs> we became suddenly busier than we had ever been before because we were one of the few places you could see arts and culture outdoors. We were safe. We took the uh, health crisis seriously. Um, and I didn't want to be inside my office like so many people that were like at the beginning, not knowing what's safe, what's not. So um, I took my laptop down to the picnic tables at the art park entrance. And believe it or not, our office is nowhere near the art park entrance. So we, we were not, as an organization, seeing day to day what was happening. And that became transformative for me at the beginning of 2020 was just sitting there and talking to people and hearing what they were dealing with. And, you know, it's stuff like um, it took me a week to figure out that there were about 20, 30 bikes coming in every day with nowhere to lock up their bike. I mean, you know, how obvious, and yet we didn't have a bike rack. So as a direct result of sitting there, taking the pictures, talking to people, we got with Norte, we raised a couple thousand bucks, we put in a bike rack. You know, when I look back, I'm probably as proud of that, you know, as yeah. I am anything, yeah. because yeah. at least I solved that one little problem. Yeah, it was, a, it was a real like cause and effect. It was basically exactly. like you, you heard, you heard like a need and you, you yeah, yeah made it happen. <laughs> yeah. But that was really cool. Um, and it was my office for the entire summer. And I went out there almost five days a week. Um, we had a lot of events also stewardship, you know, cleaning the trails, stuff like that. Um, it's a fond memory. I'll carry, you know, the pandemic for me actually held a little bit of hope because, you know, as an organization, I was sitting there seeing thousands of people. And we also, you know, like so many organizations thought we had kind of a a diversity challenge that, you know, we didn't have a diverse audience coming to the park, we thought. And I sat there and every single day I would see people speaking other languages. I would see people that would definitely be considered a non-Caucasian. And so we had this whole mix of people that we never even knew were coming in there. And 
Then there were some other surprises like um, mushroom hunters at 530 in the morning, you know, and a whole commuter crowd that did like their pre-work jog or walking the dog. And, you know, it's just it, it's just a lesson that sometimes organizations forget to be the user. This is what I took away from it. We just did not even go back to square one of just what is the park? It's a park. What do you need to experience it? You know, are the signs clear? Are the directions clear? All of that stuff I was able to, I think, improve, but it was only because I was actually sitting there and being the user. And, you know, so it's a good lesson, I guess. That's so boring. This thing's off to a horrible start. <laughs> no, no, that was really. <laughs> you're, you're more interesting than 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 you think. Oh uh, boy. So, and how did you get connected with uh, the art park? Because so you you you've kind of talked about how you made transitions so far the three years that you've been here, and yeah. so what what was that connection to the art park? Well, that was totally unexpected as well, which was um, a Traverse City architect named Bob Holdeman who designed the Denos Museum Center and those fabulous gallery spaces there. He was also um, chief architect for the renovation and look and feel at Crystal Mountain. And he was a founding member of the art park. And uh, Leah McCallum introduced me to Bob um, when I was searching for whether to stay in town or not. And so Bob and I had a coffee and I love architecture. I love architects. So we hit it off and we started talking. And I didn't even know he was connected with the art park at that time. And I was working for my North media in publishing and digital media, which I was very happy doing, but I also was missing the arts. And I heard that they were hiring a new executive director and there are very few arts organizations, you know, up here. I mean, we have a lot, but very few that are hiring for those positions at any, at any given time. And so I called Bob, I asked him, you know, if he would put my name in the mix and he wrote back about 20 minutes later and said, they've already closed the application. And I said, ah, you know, that's such a bummer, but I do understand you have to have, you know, a, you have to have a protocol, otherwise it's chaos. So I thought nothing of it. I told my girlfriend, Beth, you know, yeah, they closed it, but I hadn't, you know, kind of invested into the idea of the art park at that point. And then a few weeks later, I got a call and it's my understanding they had offered it to somebody out West. And when push came to shove, they didn't want to move here. And so they called me again. And then it was just a matter of a week, week and a half. And suddenly I was in the visual arts and, you know, I've loved the visual arts my entire career, you know, more, more than casually, I seek out museum experiences, you know, outdoor art experiences. I love the visual arts. Um, but I never thought that I would end up running an art park, which actually ended up, to be honest, to be less about the art side and more about the park ranger side, restrooms, <laughs> trail erosion, trash, yeah, bike vandalism, racks. bike yeah. racks. Yeah, it was all that stuff. And thank, thankfully for me, I kind of liked the park ranger component of it. Yeah. Um, but it was an unexpected part of the job as well. Yeah. So you kind of hinted at being in the visual arts for a bit. Talk, talk about, let's go, let's go a little further back and then we'll, we'll go more to currently, but talk about your That's time fine. at a, at Sundance. And if anybody hears me shivering right now, it's because the cold shower <laughs> podcast studio puts the cold in yeah. cold shower. Well, we and are, I am weak because <laughs> I'm shivering. And we're also drinking a cold brew right now. So I that's know, probably it's a combination. Yeah. <laughs> Which was made by Taylor. Uh, yeah. So, you know, he's making this podcast and he made us cold brew. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's my California thin skin. Yeah. Well, speaking of California, let's talk about a bit about, uh, you wanted to go into. Yeah. Yeah. About. So how, how long were you out there for? And like, kind of give us a little bit of a, you know, rundown how you got connected to Sundance. Sure. Um, I guess it's interesting only because it can happen to anybody, <laughs> you know, I mean, that's, that's the only takeaway I can, I can say from the experience of a kid from Holland, Michigan, moving across the country in a 1990 Honda civic with $2,000 and then, finding a way to stay there. I, I stayed in LA for almost 22 years. And, um, so I was in theater and I wanted to make theater my career. I had studied as an actor. And then at the end of college had gotten really interested in writing and directing because I thought it was, it was easier for me to create opportunities than to wait for them. 
So that became a kind of theme of changing my direction. So uh, I went to California almost out of spite because I got rejected by NYU's graduate program um, as an actor. And my best friend, Rob King, had been accepted. And Rob and I are the deepest and closest of friends to this day. But at the time, I was like, New York, you don't want me? Screw you. I'll go as far (laughs) away as possible, you know, thinking somehow that this was an indictment on my entire life at 22, I think. Um, And I had a friend who was in LA and at the time LA had a horrible reputation as, you know, just a plastic, like no quality content town. This was way before streaming kids, almost before the internet, to be honest, just on the cusp of home internet. And um, so the revolution of, of originality that has happened over the last 25 years had not happened yet. You just had cookie cutter crap content on television and you had really bad blockbuster movies. The independent film scene had just gotten started. So the idea of like somebody that really wanted to be a serious artist going to L.A. was laughable, but I had nowhere else to go. And I had to get out of my mom's house because I was 22 years old and I needed. <laughs> yeah. So the real start, reason. Yeah. yeah. My life. And I love my mom and she knows that. And, but I needed to get the hell out. So just on a whim, I took my, my money and my dog and um, had a place to stay. And believe it or not, I got a really quick job assisting some writers uh, who were doing some of that crappy television uh, development. They would admit it. And um, started learning side by side or watching real writers, you know, the grind of like what it takes. There's no glamour in that idea of like a screenwriter or a a television producer, you know, sitting in isolation, you know, chain smoking and having these, you know, huge inspirations and revelations. No, it's like, you know, if you've ever worked in TV, you get scripts that have up to 20 different shades of color for the revisions within that script. So you start off with a white script front to back. And then as it gets developed and as things change, the pages get swapped out. And as a writer's assistant, it's your job to memorize this color scheme and to make sure that all the pages are associated. I mean, this was madness, madness. And we did it all (laughs) by hand. And, but it taught me that writing was simply rewriting And that creating content was editing, not adding. We were just talking about that earlier. And as a fundamental core concept, you couldn't have been luckier to learn that as a creative person that young in your career, that the people that really do it, do it over and over and over again. And they don't go off and have a vacation and write a masterpiece. They actually go (laughs) to their office and write for six hours every single day, or, you know, they practice their craft. That's basically it. Mm -hmm. So that was a huge inspiration on me. And I wanted to be a writer. So I focused all my energy on that. And I had some, some success at it. Um, And then I didn't have success at it. So I was very lucky that I made my living for about two, two and a half years writing. I had some things that sold, I had an agent. Um, And then the work dried up for whatever reason. It wasn't just me. It was sort of, you know, a tough time. And I thought, what am I going to do here? And I had been to the Sundance Film Festival in a younger job as a publicist um, when I first worked in LA. And I loved it. It was like, you know, one of the most unbelievable experiences I've ever had. As a kid, I used to go to Blockbuster and just pick the movies out that had the Sundance logo or the Sundance Channel logo, and I would watch them over and over again. And they were my movies. They were the stories that I thought were interesting, and it and it gave me a worldview. It kind of expanded my notion of things. Like like what movies? Like what what time period are we we talking about here? Well, this would have been like mid nineties. So, um, Quentin Tarantino. You know, I'm old enough to remember that Pulp Fiction. We had to go seek it out at the book broker in Evansville, Indiana. And it was on rotation being rented so often that no, none of us had seen it. And one guy had seen it and he just (laughs) kept talking about it. And we were like, Jesus, we've got to see this movie (laughs) had to go down to the book broker and, you know, wait in line for the guy to return it and then jump on it and grab it and rent it and bring it home. Like slip to 20 and be like, if that thing comes back in and you rent it back out again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Ruby in Paradise was an Ashley Judd movie that was tr- that really hit me hard. You know, just a, a different kind of like human storytelling that I hadn't seen before. Um, so the idea of being there was, you know, magical. And and so as I was failing as a writer or failing to make my living anymore as a writer, um, I had to do something about it. And I had always said to myself, if if there was a job at Sundance, I would apply for it. And I had heard from people, no one ever leaves Sundance. It's a great organization, you know. And this job popped up and somebody sent it to me and I faxed my resume in. That's how old I am. I faxed my resume in (laughs) and um, got a call. And um, John Cooper, who was the director of the programming department that selects the movies, actually kind of hired me. Um, And it was assistant to the director of the film festival. So I was like, you know, starting my my 30s and feeling a little anxious about the fact that I was going back to a desk job after having an agent and, you know, getting that kind of Hollywood feeling. And, um, but I thought nothing bad will come of this. I have to do this. And I mean, the rest changed my life because I was there for 15 years. I got to do things I never imagined I would be able to do, you know, the chance to do. And then I got to travel, literally travel the world through that job, which expanded, you know, my entire soul and, um, what, what were you doing for that job? Like when you're traveling, are you working with the programming uh, for it or like, you know, what were, what was your main kind of initiative? Yeah. So toward the end of the time that I was there, I was no longer the assistant to the director. I had, um, gotten a chance to be promoted into the little team that selected the movies. And then they gave me all of their digital content development because I had had this experience before in digital content. And they said, we don't know what to do with this. So why don't you go do it? So we created a program that helped people fund and distribute movies outside of the studio system. And then we saw there was such a need for that, that we started doing pop-up workshops all over the country. We did them in um, Philadelphia, Seattle, uh, Austin, Oaxaca, Mexico, New York, San Francisco, you know, so we just started traveling, but then Um, internationally, I had a chance to go to London and Spain and Greece and India with Sundance, you know, I mean, just incredible trips. Um, and most of the time we were taking movies and artists into different communities strategically to, um, create film culture, you know, a support culture for filmmakers, independent storytellers. And that work that Sundance has done now for 25 years has laid the groundwork, I think, for what you're seeing now, which is this explosion of opportunity for international filmmakers and a kind of feeling that there's not um, a domestic film market and an international market, but they're, they're almost imperceptible. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that was pretty interesting. Was this a situation where you weren't really like looking for something and then something, then an opportunity came up or were you kind of feeling like you had maybe plateaued where you were at at Sundance or, you know, what were you looking for a move? Yeah. At that point at 15 years, I, I, I started feeling like I was doing the same processes, but with different projects, you know, it started to feel a little less, um, new, you know, Mm -hmm. or challenging. It wasn't that I was perfect at it and it wasn't that I had mastered a formula. It was just that the process started to repeat itself a little bit. And by that time, many, many big changes had happened at Sundance. We'd had a new executive director. We'd had a new director of the film festival, other big changes. We expanded from 60 people when I started to almost 150 people across three cities. So it had grown um, a great deal. But I didn't want to go far because I adore Sundance. I care about it so deeply. And I had a chance to work for the Redford Family Foundation, which is called the Redford Center. And they develop um, stories that are specifically trying to have positive impact on the world. That was also, um, you know, uh, a time that was starting to look a little dark in America. You know, I mean, the the global, you know, the global environmental crisis alone was enough to keep me up, you know? And so the chance of maybe having an impact on that was exciting. So I went and did that and I commuted from LA to San Francisco. 
um, where their offices were and did a lot of remote work, which was, you know, now I look back and it's like that, that looks quaint now what I did, but <laughs> yeah. Didn't I, I feel like you mentioned like flying to San Francisco, like every week or something like that. There was a period of time where I got to know the same people on the 5.30 a.m. Southwest flight at gate one because they were also doing the same thing. And the reason why was San Francisco was so wildly expensive to live in that it was cheaper for them to fund my commuting on a weekly basis and put me up than it was to, you know, give me an equivalent salary in San Francisco. (laughs) So I did that and, um, it was a drag, you know, in, in terms of the, the kind of mechanics of it. And I was at Sundance as a civilian. So just going to see movies, see my friends, see my old colleagues. And I was standing in line and I saw an old Michigan buddy, Russ Collins, who runs the Michigan theater in Ann Arbor and also is a tremendous guy because he created the first ever organization of independent art house cinemas that's ever existed. So all those independent cinemas that we all love had never been connected into any kind of network. And he saw the need and the opportunity and he created something called the art house convergence, which was this annual event. So I would see Russ all the time at Sundance and Russ is a Michigan guy. I'm a Michigan guy. So we, you know, um, do the secret handshake and uh, he <laughs> yeah. he said, what are you which, up to? And is, I said, yeah, give us one hint of what it is. Guys, guys, if we if we give elbows? that away, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it means arguing about, you know, stupid stuff like Michigan stuff. Like yeah. uh, Did you just start talking about the weather uh, immediately. Yeah, yeah. yeah. immediately. <laughs> immediately. Yeah. And the drawl comes back when you talk <laughs> yeah. to him. Yeah. 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 There's some pointing to the hand, too. I'm sure that happens <laughs> yeah, somewhere. Yeah. There. Where you where um, did you yeah. come from? And where up north you would go. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think that's true, actually, because I can honestly like say that we said all those things so. <laughs> yeah we know we know but russ is a cool guy russ was standing there we we're chit-chatting and he goes hey you would never consider coming back to michigan would you and i said why would you say that you know i was thinking he was hiring because i had known russ for several years at that point and um he said no he said um michael moore and the traverse city film festival are hiring And I said, oh, you know, and I'm thinking, that's interesting. I've never been to the Traverse City Film Festival at that point. And had you been to Traverse City? Yeah. So as a kid, uh, I think I shared this with you guys just personally. But as a kid, my family was lucky enough to rent for two weeks a a summer, a cottage right outside of Leland um, through a family friend of ours who's had that cottage for generations now. And so you know, my summers in August were spent, you know, up here, in fact, at Good Harbor Bay Beach, you know, quite often. And um, so when we wanted a big night out during our vacation, we would come into Traverse City and go to a movie or go to dinner or whatnot. And then a couple of years before I moved back, my mom had organized a kind of reunion, an up north reunion for the family because we hadn't been back as a family in years. And we obviously came into Traverse City and I think the festival was about to happen when I was here, but I, it didn't overlap. So I never saw it. And so Russ, you know, uh, offered to make a, an introduction. And um, I heard from somebody within a couple hours, actually, while I was at Sundance, because everybody was there and started talking to them and um, had never thought about moving back to Michigan. Totally want to be honest. I just not, I loved coming back here. Absolutely loved it. And maybe in the back of my mind, every time I was thinking someday, someday I'll come back, but it wasn't an active desire on my part, but, um, I have family here and you get older and you want to spend more time with your family. And California is a huge drag. You know, it takes all day to get back and forth. And I was thinking, you know what, that might be really nice. And I'd had some changes in my life and I thought, okay, let's, let's do this or think about it. And so I flew to New York. I met with Michael Moore and the board of directors and, you know, we hit it off, I'd say, and I, you know, started thinking more seriously about it. And then they, um, they made me the offer and I accepted it and they gave me 30 days to, you know, pack up 
my life in California and move here. <laughs> yeah. And I said, guys, guys, I could use a little extra time. And they were like, no, we need somebody, you know, the festival's approaching, you know, can you do it? And I thought, well, you know, what's the difference between, you know, doing it quick or doing it at all. So I'll just do it quick. So I rented my house in LA and, you know, got rid of 90% of my stuff and was diving, you know, really deeply into the festival. I was meeting people in LA that were working for the festival. You know, I was kind of doing the job part-time. And then it was um, April 13th, I think, of 2018, <clears throat> excuse me, when I arrived here. And you guys had that vicious, vicious winter oh, storm yeah. <laughs> the weekend I arrived, oh, yeah, yeah. which dumped feet of snow uh, across the city. And that was my first night here. <laughs> and um and yeah and then you know well, uh and you we like you had that official introduction um at the state theater right which um, you guys which we came, we came to yeah, yeah. that's there, how that's, sure. that was the first time we you know we saw you we didn't really meet you there because you were up on stage um you know uh big man on new big man on campus new big new man big man yeah new man on new little guy yeah. probably but <laughs> um <laughs> But yeah, and, and we had, you know, heard about you coming to town and we had reached out about, you know, meeting up and, and we eventually then grabbed a drink at Little Fleet. So that that was kind of how we officially met. But that was our yeah. first kind of introduction to you was seeing you up on stage at the at the State Theater. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we were doing a fundraiser um, and um, and it was very quick. You know, I felt very quickly the small community of creative people here because so many people like you had reached out to me so quickly. And it was, it was really, you know, abundantly clear to me that there was a group of movie lovers here, you know, I mean, more than casual people involved in the industry, people who had, who had created stuff or had their own, you know, um, circuit. And yeah, so that was when we met and actually we had set up a drink, um, at the little fleet, I think to meet in person. And the day that we were scheduled to meet, I resigned from the film festival. So I wanted to give you guys an out and say, <laughs> you didn't have to go through with it and meet me for a beer if you didn't want to. And I think we ended up having it anyway. Yeah. Well, if, if so. anything, we wanted to even to meet you even more because we had to hear <laughs> what that story was. Um, but also, you know, I think we, we got a, you know, a decent enough idea of who you are or who you, who you were at the time. And, and we were, you know, I don't know, we, we obviously are just like constantly trying to meet people and, um, and anyone who has also had experience in the film industry, uh, I think we especially wanted to meet. Um, so, and I'm glad we did. And I felt like yeah. we hit it off, uh, you know, pretty quickly. Oh, um, very quickly. Yeah. And you invited me, um, to, uh, shortly after that, uh, just a couple months, you invited me to go up to the fresh coast film festival in Marquette where you guys had a short. Mm -hmm. And so my girlfriend and I went up there and we didn't really know you that well. I don't think Not at that super point, well, but yeah. yeah. And then we had such a blast at that festival mm -hmm. and, um, so disappointed that we couldn't go again this year, but. Um, we'll go again yeah. in the future. Next year, hopefully. Yeah. If you're liking this episode so far, we wanted to take a quick moment to remind everyone to subscribe to the Boardroom Review podcast to stay up to date on new episodes and to stay tuned for more podcasts from some of our friends coming out through our new podcast network, the Boardman Review Podcast Collective. So now coming full circle, you're, you're back in kind of uh, the performing arts in a certain way, the visual arts at the very least. Um, and so what um, now being a part of P45, like what, what really excites you about this new opportunity for you? Well, right now, specifically, you know, I feel like we're on a mission. Honestly, I feel like the mission for us this summer is not to reclaim our lost income. You know, we were devastated. The organization was devastated by COVID, lost their whole season last year. Not to recover organizationally or with our infrastructure. No, our job is to reclaim culture and to bring it back to this community. And I see it as nothing less than that. And I am so determined along with this amazing team of being incredibly safe following all the science and recommendations, putting all the contingency plans in place, 
But all that is in service of we're bringing art back. And I have so much respect for everybody that's trying to do this because there is no roadmap. You have to figure it out on your own. But people need this. (laughs) (laughs) I need it. So we're going to bring it back and we're going to have live music again this summer. And we're going to have, you know, gatherings again. And we're going to have you know, experiences where we're not going to have to be masked and we can forget for a few short hours what we've been through. And the reason that I feel that way is because I know how much value that has for people's lives. It's not going to change everything. It's not going to make us forget, but it's an important part of recovering is to bring back the arts you know, in all their glory, not just what we could experience binge watching or rolling through Spotify, you know, for endless hours. No, we need this connection. We need the connection to be in an audience with people, to have a shared experience, and then to, to frankly, just be surprised by something, you know, something unexpected. And so that's what I'm really focused on. And, um, it comes with a great deal of, um, worry on my part because P45, I don't think people would even realize how big a company it is. So we're about to bring 50 people in from all over the country, professional artists, designers, technicians, staff members, and we're at 100% uh, vaccination for our company, which is fabulous. And we made a requirement and, but this is a lot of people to worry about. And part of what makes working for P45 so incredible is Northern Michigan. And so now we have to ask people, you know, not to experience it the same way, but to keep this pod mentality for our summer um, so we can stay safe. So I'm trying to figure out how do I create that culture and how do I give people experiences into Northern Michigan while they're here that we can provide for them. Right. So, you know, asking people just to stay in their uh, you know, room all summer is not going to work. <laughs> so I want to create things and take people out for hikes. And actually I was inspired a great deal by your hiking club. You know, just the simple act of meeting people to do a, a group experience is really what I think people want more than anything. So we're going to try and create that all summer. And um, yeah, I really, really believe that people will appreciate what happens because it's been. I, I, I Talk about kind of your, cause it, it sounds like you'll have different types of performances. It's, you're going to have live music. You're going to have, um, plays, um, and other things. Talk about like kind of the different types of performances you're going to have and also your, your venue, your home. Yeah. So I'm really lucky because parallel 45 theater opened a new permanent venue in collaboration with the civic center park, which is a, a grand Traverse County facility. Um, we share public space with Norte, the great people at Norte, and um, and we created, and my predecessor, Aaron, um, raised an enormous amount of money and created this um, one-of-a-kind, state-of-the-art performance venue that pops up in the summer, and it has all the lights and the audio and the seating and the tents and the everything, and then it goes away for the winter, and um, the Civic Center Park has been uh, generous enough and supportive enough to believe in this idea. And so that's our home now. And, um, so we're right in the heart of Traverse city, you know, right in the middle of it. And, um, we do uh, theater and repertory, which means that, you know, we change the plays and the performances. So you can come see almost any night of the week, something different. And that's a huge challenge logistically, but that's the way it's done so that you can utilize everybody that you're bringing in, in a theater company. Um, you know, we're doing some plays that maybe seem familiar. So the opening in the big, the big, uh, tent pole is sound of music, um, which believe it or not was on Broadway in 1959, which is like, you know, ancient history. Yeah. Now, but so you, you saw it. I saw it. I was yeah. there okay. as a young lad <laughs> sell, selling <laughs> playbills out, so, out yeah, front. Yeah. For a, for um, a nickel a piece. <laughs> but that's, that's a play or a story that people are really familiar with. But then you start talking to the director, Kit McKay. And the reason she chose this, she chose this, this piece in the middle of COVID because when you start deconstructing it, it's, 
a story about a family in crisis whose faith and resilience is tested and who has to overcome a challenge larger than themselves. Perfect. Sounds, yeah. sounds <laughs> yeah. kind of ripped from the headlines, right. you know? Yeah. So, so that'll be an interesting take. And she's also um, bringing in a kind of contemporary twist on some things without giving them away. Yeah, so yeah, yeah Parallel 45's great. mission is to take the familiar and to make it unfamiliar or, or to raise the curiosity about it by doing something differently. And very so, cool. um, so that'll be very interesting. And then we're also doing, um, the musical, you're a good man, Charlie Brown for the family. And that's also a story, <laughs> believe it or not, about a young kid facing something overwhelming and, and challenging without giving it away. <laughs> so yeah, no spoilers. that was also <laughs> picked for a reason, you know, because when you think about what our families have been through, these, these things haven't, we haven't really talked about it yet. You know, we're still going through it. And so this, this season is a way I hope for people honestly to process some things together. And, um, you know, it's, it's an experience you can have as a family and then go home and talk about together. And so yeah, that's to have a, a universal story that you can actually connect on and, yeah. and think about and, and hopefully relate to yeah. our current times. And I really want to do a dog night for Charlie Brown, oh, where, <laughs> where basically it's dogs night out and the people are there to kind of give the dogs the best evening experience mm -hmm. possible. And I think, you know, this musical really <laughs> speaks to them. And we're going to yeah, have a great, it really speaks to them. And yeah, what yeah. the dogs need right now. Yeah. Just you, you're yeah. trying to bring the arts back for the dogs. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That makes That's, sense. That um, sounds amazing. That's going to be, it is amazing to have the opportunity to, to like put a mission behind, not just uh, a new organization, but the timing of coming into this new organization is a, is a pretty, pretty special experience to, to have. It's challenging, but it's going to be really interesting to see how, how that motivates you differently than just taking on an organization any other yeah. year. No, it is, you know, I guess I would say this right now that every single organization that's trying something, including you guys staying active, doing different things during this time, I have a hundred thousand times more respect for the people that have tried anything, even if it's failed than the ones that have sat on the sidelines, because I feel like the ones that are doing it are, the, are actually the ones that are carving the way for other people. And that's not to say that we're martyrs or anything, but someone has to do this. Someone has to figure out how to bring this stuff back. Somebody has to try and see how it goes. And if you're not trying, then you're really not a part of the the community moving forward because we can't erase everything that's happened. We have to deal with it, you know, now. And I don't want the arts to go away for the longest human interruption in history of the arts and, and culture. The, well documented, even in previous, you know, world wars and disasters and pandemics, the arts have, have always continued, but we have had no performances, no live interaction, no audiences for well over a year. So this is a mission for me. I hope other people yeah. think yeah. it's worthwhile. I mean, it, it's, it's interesting. It, it, I think what you say about like seeing other organizations try, it definitely gives you a little bit more uh, motivation and confidence um, just, just to go out on a limb and try something. And yeah, you might fail at what you're doing, but you'll probably learn along the way and then figure out where you kind of, you know, fall um, and, and where you can kind of, you know, find your zone and find your audience and find your outlet for whatever creative medium, you know, you're, you're working on. I, we've definitely gone through that. Um, whether that, you know, not having live, um, you know, launch events and everything we've, you know, focused on other things like podcasts and, and our newsletter and like uh, other forms. And so it's, um, you know, we, we're excited to get back into, you mm -hmm. know, live events and whatnot, but also we, we've learned a lot along the way. And it's not like we're only going to do podcasts like for this time being like, we're really excited about this and this will be something that we keep working on moving forward. So, it, you know, yeah, you, you create something. You create with your, with everything that you're doing, you're creating something with the intent that someone is going to experience it. 
And so the, the tenacity that you've continued to put things out that people can experience, that is what you're doing. You know, that is what you're doing. It's the whole point. Yeah, it's the whole point. And so I really respect that. And I respect all the organizations that have done, you know, different, different attempts at it because how sad would it be to be sitting here now and not know anything about your audience after all of this? You might've found out the most fundamental things about your audience during this. This has been an unfiltered time. People are not afraid to make decisions now in their life about what's important to reprioritize things. Like if you're not actually talking to, to your people, you know, you're missing a great opportunity, I think, to learn what really matters to them too. Yeah. So I, it sounds like your plate has been pretty full, uh, lately. I'm trying to get this going and making that transition and somehow you've, you've found time to also contribute to our most recent, uh, issue, our spring issue. Yeah. Um, it was so fun. And, uh, yeah. So, you know, Joe was able to put together, um, an amazing piece for us and I'll, I'll let you kind of talk about how that came about. Um, but we're, you know, obviously incredibly thankful to like, have you involved in, in the spring issue. Uh, we, you've contributed before, um, and that's always been a huge success and, um, you know, helps us become closer as friends and, and collaborators and whatnot. So, um, yeah, I guess, how did this, um, story come about for you? Well, thank you for the the invitation to contribute because that's how it started was you and I were talking and I think we all said, maybe there's a story here to, you know, examine, um, bird watching in Northern Michigan was how it started. And the reason we were talking about that was we collaborated on this recent online project to talk about pivoting and new things. It was called birds and words, and it was an interesting celebration of uh, bird watching art, literature, and music all online. And so I said, well, from last year, Joyce Harrington Bailey, who many people up here know was Jim Harrison's longtime um, estate manager, essentially, but then also his collaborator because she, she was the first person that he turned to with his writing he entrusted her with all the elements of his life. And he has now uh, been gone for five years. And I reached out to Joyce to say, hey, I know you're you're a bird enthusiast. I'm doing this thing for the boardman. I honestly, guys, I thought it was a softball. I thought it would be, <laughs> I thought it would be a couple emails. Yeah. And it would be, you know, a nice little roundup for, for the Boardman <laughs> review that would, that would essentially be promoting our, our other project. And what happened was, as you know, I reached out to Joyce and I started that dialogue and Joyce and I have never met in person. All my exchanges with her have been over zoom or during the pandemic over email and phone. And I told her and she said, yeah, I, I'll do it. I'll do it. This is a bad week, but I'll do it. And we kept that little dance between subject and interview time, you know, which went on for a couple of weeks. And then finally I was up against your deadline and I was really sweating it. And I hadn't really yeah, we were threatening of like, you know, yeah. breaking kneecaps and stuff. You're not tough <laughs> that yeah. way, but no, you we're, still, we're you yeah. still have deadlines. And um, so you had this deadline and I called you very honestly. And I said, look, I've been chasing this story with her. I can't really understand what's going on, but something's going on in her life because she's very busy. And I said, maybe I can do something else. And so we talked about alternatives. You gave me the green light that I could tell Joyce, we're going to punt it to another issue. So the whole thing looked like it was falling apart at the seams and it was falling apart at the <laughs> seams. So I wrote her one last time and I explained, you know, that I had a deadline um, and I emailed her some questions and I said, anything you can get me, anything. I need to give these guys something Monday. So late on a Friday before that deadline, we really had not talked, she and I. So there was really nothing going on. But she started sharing these emails with me and they came one at a time about 10 to 15 minutes apart. And they all came late on a Friday. And in one of them, she, she mentions that it just was the eve of Jim's passing. And, and I didn't know that. 
when we were talking and it made me step back and think to myself, this is kind of a profound time in this person's life. Should I even be bothering them with this? Should I even be making it worse with this deadline? But she kept writing and she kept sharing these, these snippets. And I took the bait on Saturday and started replying back with some questions about things she had shared with me. And there were attachments like a photo with no explanation. And, <laughs> you know, and it's just started to become sort of a bizarre like Rashomon where I was trying to figure out, you know, what was going on here. And I even told you, I said, it's gotten even more bizarre because now I don't really even know what story I'm, you know, creating. But I got up very early on the Sunday, I think, uh, before it was due. And I just printed out all of the exchanges that we had had. And I looked back over our texts and things. And it suddenly dawned on me that the two of us had really been talking about Jim without talking about Jim, because the things that were happening emotionally to her were all connected to her loss of her friend. And as soon as I realized what had been going on, I was very touched by that. I was very moved by the kind of unexplained part of grieving. And she shared things with me that I thought were very intimate, you know, especially for two people that weren't friends. And so I wrote her and I said, are we talking about this? You know, is this what we've been exchanging about is your memories? And, and then some of my questions about that. And she said, I think you've, I think you've nailed it. So we both came to the realization together. And so what I decided to do was instead of writing a story or interviewing her, I decided to take a look at these fragments and try to put them together and compile them into something that reflected the way I was feeling about it, which I thought was interesting about her relationship with somebody that was so close that it wasn't until they were gone that she even was able to open up the parts of her, her soul to what it had all meant, you know? So that was very meaningful. And, um, so I crafted that first draft of the story. I was feeling so anxious and so, you know, embarrassed, frankly, that, you know, we didn't deliver on the story. And I asked if I could have some more time and I shared a little draft with you and you guys responded positively to it, which gave me some wind in my sails and then I had yeah. the bravery well, it was an to amazing first draft. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks. I, you know, I, I don't want to give people the impression that I wrote anything per se, because really what I did was I organized it. So this is the idea agitation now coming back yeah. <laughs> because that's really what I did. I just took some of the ideas and, and tried mm -hmm. to put them together, but I shared it with Joyce, which was terrifying because I was talking about her. And originally we had agreed that she would be sharing things about Jim. Mm. So suddenly she went from the sidelines to being the subject. And so I was nervous about that. And she not only responded well, but then she, she really opened up to actually collaborating on it. So um, much to your dismay, <laughs> as the publishers and editors, we spent six days, I think, and we did 14 drafts because she's, she is such a professional in terms of making sure that everything that I was describing was correct. And that the details and it, and when and if people, um, you know, read it, it's a complicated story. And so it, it did take some fact checking. And so we worked on that for several um, days and kept delaying, you know, sending it to you. But you guys responded well. And then it became something even more um, meaningful because we reached out to other people that had photographed Jim. Um, the, the photographs in this um, story you know, to me, that was the huge thing that we did together because they, they helped Definitely. tell the story so powerfully. And these were not photos we pulled, you know, we had to get permission and you guys helped me and mm -hmm. the people involved were, um, you know, they were willing to share it because it was Joyce and because of the special relationship that she had with Jim, obviously. So the piece is, is the most interesting thing I've ever been involved in. <laughs> and it was absolutely the most um, terrifying assignment. And I was feeling like such a failure letting you guys down. I was also feeling anxious about pushing Joyce because of this time in her life. And so, you know, just last night, um, she and I sent each other a text, a very sweet 
exchange about just how lucky we had both felt that this experience brought us together as friends. Mm. And so it's incredibly humbling to see your editor's note and also to see it in print now. But the other thing is that the most amazing thing is that I gained this friendship. Mm. So it's a piece I shared it with my friend who founded Michael's place, which is the local organization that does grief support. Um, doesn't matter why or how the, you know, families are grieving. They just provide that essential support. And I told her, I said, this is a story that ended up being about this process. And I said, I'd really appreciate, you know, any feedback that you have. This was right before I sent it to you guys. Mm. Final, the final, 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 <laughs> yeah. final. Yeah, right. We were knocking on your door. Yeah. And yeah. she, 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 um, she really responded well to what we were trying to do. And that made me feel very good because this is a person who knows what that's like. And so the fact that she recognized in it, the truth of how difficult and, and it's not a depressing piece, would you say? No, no, it's a not fun piece. Yeah, yeah. I mean, okay. It, yeah. I think the, the, the like back and forth and there's almost like a banter in a way, not that like you are actually talking to each other, like dialogue wise, but just what you had to go through yeah. in those moments. And I, and I think what's so fun is like, that you basically that you had the awareness that like what you were going through was the story itself and not that you were trying to get like the story and trying to get some, you know, tidbits out of her. It was like that process was the story itself. And I think that's really cool. Yeah. It really feels like you're getting kind of a snapshot of a conversation, which is why it feels like you can go, you're witnessing people having a conversation and, and naturally in a conversation, you dip into the, the deeper, harder parts of the conversation then you, and then you, mm-hmm. you come out of that. And, you know, just like in a regular <laughs> everyday conversation, you go back and forth and you come out and, 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 uh, have some release from that. And yeah. I think that's what that provided to be able to talk about some tough, tough things, but that conversational style allowed it to have a little more, just a, a lightness to it. Yeah. And I think great. it's, it's indicative of, uh, you know, Jim Harrison's, writing itself you know Mm -hmm. uh the style of it you know it's it's dealing with tough things through humor and you know sometimes bluntness and and you know uh just having those conversations with people that you maybe maybe don't want to or or go unexpectedly um i feel like happens a lot in in his writing so it it just it all felt very fitting um Mm. you know also the idea of talking about something completely different, but really the subtext is, is what is at the core of mm-hmm. it. Um, yeah, and, and I appreciate that. Yeah. You know, it's funny because the thing, the thing about the process too, that I think now I'm proud of now that we've been through it. <laughs> You're on the other end. <laughs> yeah. We're yeah, on yeah. the other end is that, you know, <laughs> up here and it's not a criticism of anyone or anything, but up here over the past couple of years, especially since he passed away, you know, Jim's persona has become almost like a kind of like, um, I don't want to say like it's been commoditized or anything, but it, but you know what I mean? Like this, this, this made me remember him as a human mm-hmm. instead of just a literary giant who was unpenetrable, you know, in some way, or was just his veneer, which we all know was famous and and sort of larger than life. But this brought it back to me, you know, just, and I learned things from Joyce too about him. And I've been a fan of Jim's writing, like so many people, you know, that's an easy thing to be, but it, I learned things about, about him and about his life. And yeah, it was really cool. And, um, Joyce is, uh, single-handedly, I think keeping McGow's, uh, in business <laughs> because she says she goes there like two, three times a week. So this whole thing about birding and Jim is connected when you read the story, it's, it's not two random things at all. They're very, they're very connected. So. Oh, it was just, it was amazing to see it come together, honestly. Cause it's uh, yeah. for us, like you said, it's one of the, you know, the, the, you know, the experience of writing it was something else, but for us, the experience of going through, like actually watching you go through the process <laughs> what for us as the publishers was really interesting also. And kind of like speaks to, we love the idea of giving someone like kind of an open canvas and then, and then, and allowing you to go through the process and come. And in this case, it worked out, 
you know, in the best way possible, we think. So Give it, giving them just enough rope to hang themselves. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, yeah. And, and once, we, once we saw that first draft, I mean, yeah, we, we were going to give you as much time as we would be able to allow yeah. you, but obviously we're going to keep pushing you a little bit to, you know, for the record, I think you yeah. guys gave us until the day before it went to print. It was if not uh, the day. Yeah. Well, before we sent it in for the, yeah, yeah. the printed proof. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the greatest gift yeah. you can ever give an artist is a deadline. Yep. Yeah. And yep. <laughs> yeah, it, it ended up working out and uh, yeah, we're super excited to have that in, in the new spring issue. So it's, it's which is a fabulous issue without this story because <laughs> I just saw it yep. and I had been, you know, complimenting you guys. But um, I think what's to me, you know, it's, I love that you don't call it a literary journal. You know, I've always loved that, that, you know, it, it's an expansive notion of what we recognize as a journal, but the combination of the, the stories and the whole landscape that you're able to cover in one issue between the natural world and literature and arts and personalities and history. I mean, it's just a really great combination. So I'm Thank you. thrilled to be in this issue with you and thanks again for the yeah. and hopefully you know. hopefully there'll be more to come well joe appreciate you coming on uh, oh, the thanks, show guys. and yeah i mean you you're like one of the most interesting people i know so uh, <laughs> i was looking forward to this conversation yeah. and, and i really appreciate um yeah you sitting down with us well yeah, let me great. tell you honestly from the bottom of my heart meeting you guys and and getting to know the community that you created you literally created with your creative endeavors. I've met so many people through you and have had a chance to, you know, collaborate now with so many people that, you know, you're a magnet. So just keep it up and thank you always for having me. Appreciate that, thank Joe. You. I really appreciate All right, thanks, Joe. All right. All right, thanks for tuning in. Our podcast is produced in collaboration with Cold Shower Media. Thanks to our good friend, Taylor Kramer. And our theme music is by Jack M. Senna. Yeah, so thanks for listening, folks. And uh, make sure you tune in to our next episode. <laughs>